he said. Thanks, mumbled John. The problem with Halloween fancy dress, he mused, was not the dilemma over what to wear, not even travelling to the event looking like a dork, but the fact that once you arrived at the party and everybody had seen your costume, you had to stay in it for the rest of the evening, long after the novelty had worn off. The thin black cloak from the Sainsbury's wasn't so bad, and you could at least lower the hood, but the side was as tall as he was, and was more than just awkward. It was positively dangerous. He'd already taken out a light fitting and considered himself lucky not to get stopped getting on the tube. He thought about putting it down somewhere, out of the bedroom, designated as a cloakroom perhaps, but he feared it wouldn't be there when he returned to collect it, and, strictly speaking, it wasn't his to lose. Oh, it's sharp, the girl in the bumblebee outfit said, running a thumb over the keen blade. That was another thing. When he found it, propped up against the allotment wall that ran behind his flat, looking like it had been there forever, it had been quite dull. The edge pitted and coated with rust. But now it gleamed under the kitchen's halogen spotlights. And the odd dream he'd had, of hours spent hunched over a spinning whetstone, showers of sparks illuminating the night, and a grinding noise like the scream of a thousand lost souls piercing his skull as the edge took shape. What was all that about? He turned to the bumblebee. She was cute. Slim, short hair, mischievous grin. Just his type if she hadn't been so obviously out of his class. But still, she'd made two attempts to start a conversation, and, I mean, she didn't know he was some, wasn't some uh, ultra-hip media tycoon, did she? So, he began, immediately regretting what he was about to say, but unable to change midstream. What do you do? Besides making honey, she laughed, a pleasing lilt to her voice. I run a temp agency. John thought for a moment. Ah. <laughs> ah, she echoed, one black eyebrow raised. Ah, well, I suppose, he floundered. Difficult times for you? She shrugged. Well, not really. With redundancies, there are a lot of short-term needs for skills and resources. And even in a recession, there's uh, some growth areas that simply have too much work to handle. Usually they just need help to clear the backlog, or hold the fort when someone's off ill, or on holiday. Like, supply teachers? He volunteered. She frowned. Well, along those lines, but I'm actually rather more specialised. I don't do teachers or secretaries or... She looked him up and down, knowingly. Data entry clerks. His heart sank. I only deal with the top end of the market, she continued brightly. Afraid I can't tell you the names of my clients, of customer confidentiality and all that. She shrugged again and then looked up at him expectantly. Do my wings do anything when I do that? Do it again, he suggested, a lump in his throat. She did, an amused look on her face. Anything? He shook his head, his lips dry. No, he said slowly. Well... Not behind you, anyway. <laughs> she threw a playful punch at his arm. Naughty. 
but I'm afraid I'm going to have to love you, and love you and leave you now, John. I'm actually working tonight, and I have two more parties to drop in on, and one of them's in Acton, of all places. He must have looked crestfallen and amused. He was fairly sure he hadn't told her his name, and he certainly didn't know hers. And how, for that matter, did she know that he was a data entry clerk, or, or had it just been a lucky guess? Oh, don't worry, she said cheerfully. I think I'll be seeing you again. She tapped a black and yellow striped nail against the edge of the scythe. You do make an awfully good Grim Reaper. And she left. He wandered aimlessly around the party. Crowded though it had become, people seemed to make way for him without actually acknowledging his existence. He didn't mind, truth be told. He hardly knew anyone there. Uh, he'd once worked with a girlfriend of one of the Hoxton flats, three tenants, and she'd been a bit liberal with her Facebook invites. Much too liberal, even with a strict mandate that you had to wear fancy dress. The place was heaving by ten, rammed by ten-thirty. As he made his way to the small roof terrace, a smurf and a zombie were erecting a barricade of billy bookcases at the front door to prevent any late arrivals. On the terrace, despite the cold weather, things were only marginally better. The partygoers would have probably spilled over onto the wartime fire escape if it hadn't been chock full of building materials, plasterboard, wooden planks, and plastic bottles full of varnish and turpentine. He passed by a couple of Guy Fawkes, complete with V for Vendetta masks, who were drunkenly trying to set up a firework the size of a microwave. It was, he was sure, likely to end in disaster. At that thought, a sudden image came to him. A fiery inferno. Flames curling around the top of the walls to meet at the ceiling. A curtain of white heat. And people fighting to escape, screaming, burning. Through it all, a dark figure striding, untouched by the flames, bending over the fallen figures, a blade glowing red above his head. John realised the figure was an angel of mercy. The blade was not being used to maim or kill. It was performing a compassionate service, severing the thin ribbon of light that kept the tortured souls anchored to their blackened bodies. He blinked, stunned by his vision, as Guy Fawkes 1 handed Guy Fawkes 2 a yellow plastic lighter. A small chime sounded from his wrist, and he pulled back the heavy black cloak to reveal a bleached, skeletal wrist. And on it, an oversized, antique pocket watch. John nodded solemnly. Time to go to work.